tell me they tell me i have no sound now there we go we'll do that again <laughs> hello everybody uh this is news and views from the nefarium on um thursday march 5th 2020 anyway sorry about the no sound guys i forgot to press the button on my microphone up here but anyway we do have a vid chat tomorrow friday uh 2 p.m. Central Time, so get your questions in. I'll be in the chat room early for our usual pre-chat, informal banter, and things like that. Now, um, today, <laughs> let me get the cigarette lit because settle in. Uh, this might be a long and somewhat unusual news and views. Um it seems that fear and trembling is back in the news. And no, folks, I'm not talking about the coronavirus story. In fact, I have a special request. For those of you who like to send me articles, and I thank all of you for sending all the articles that uh, you do send and that I blog about, uh, some of them on the website. Please, 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 no more coronavirus stories. Uh, it's it's been very very difficult to avoid that story, um, particularly given the ratio of articles I've been getting about it and the articles not relating to it. So please, no more coronavirus stories. Um, there's, I I think I think at this stage, the less we talk about it, <laughs> the better. But I do want to talk about fear and trembling. Um, because there's a very, very interesting story that appeared in Popular Mechanics. It's an American magazine about, as you might guess, mechanical things. And the article is titled, JAXA is going to land on Phobos, the 14th best moon in the solar system. And this is an article by Jennifer Lehman. It was posted... Uh, on February 21st, and I just received this article, and this is very interesting. And I'm going to tell you why it's very interesting, and that's why we might go a little long on today's news and views. Phobos is, of course, one of the two moons of Mars, the other one being Themos. And they're named for the Greek words fear, that's Phobos, and Themos is trembling, fear and trembling. And uh, this moon has caused quite a stir, and we'll be getting into that in a moment. But I want to read a little bit from this article and then give you the backstory. Okay. And the backstory is going to require me quoting rather extensively from one of my books and then adding to it information that came out after the book. All right. So here we go. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA, announced this week that it's green-lit a Mars Moon Exploration Project, or MMX. The project will target Mars' two moons, Phobos and Themos, and is des designed to return samples from Phobos. Latch on to that. It's slated to launch in 2024 and will land on Phobos in 2025. And I'm skipping several paragraphs here. 
the 11 instruments aboard will poke, prod, image, and sample the moon. If all goes according to plan, the spacecraft will land on the moon for several hours and take a 10-gram core sample from at least 2 centimeters below the surface, according to the agency's press statement. In addition to the sampling device, there will also be a return capsule that will jettison the samples back to Earth. There will also be two cameras on board, a narrow-angle Tengu and a wide-angle Orichi, which will snap pictures of the moon's surface, as well as the LIDAR laser altimeter, the Circum Martian dust monitor, a radiation environment monitor, and the mass spectrum analyzer. In other words, Japan is really serious about getting as much information about that this moon as possible. We'll get back to that. NASA has signed on to provide a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer, which will study the elemental composition on the moon. And France's space agency, CNES, will develop a near-red, infrared spectrometer, which will identify minerals that are on the surface. Astronomers have long proposed, listen carefully, astronomers have long proposed a mission to Phobos as a precursor to any mission to the Red Planet. In 2015, the Director of Solar System Exploration at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Farouz Naderi, suggested that a quick crewed trip to Phobos might be a nice alternative to Mars. Now, the question I want you all that are listening to this to ask yourselves is why? Why the interest in this little moon? And we're going to get back to that here in a moment. Because of Phobos' small size, leaving the moon would likely be a lot easier than leaving Mars. For instance, a spacecraft launching from the moon wouldn't have to contend with the planet-sized gravity well, and less gravity means less fuel. While a trip to Phobos may be slightly less challenging than a journey to Mars, it's definitely not easy. Listen carefully. Russia sent a spacecraft, a lander and rover, to the moon in 1988, but it failed just before it reached the rocky body. Russia tried again to reach the Martian moon in 2011, but that spacecraft didn't even make it out of the Earth's atmosphere. Now, before we get to the nitty-gritty, that Russian probe at the time, and I was following the Phobos story rather carefully at the time, was according to some in Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, there was a great deal of suspicion being talked about on Russian sources that that probe had been sabotaged. In other words, somebody didn't want Russia to get there. And in fact, Russia has had incredibly bad luck with its probes to Mars. It has had far more success, unbelievably, with probes to the planet Venus. And now this article ends with a very interesting statement. We're hoping JAXA fares a little better, okay? Now, 
with rush with that in mind i want to go to my book uh covert wars and the clash of civilizations um because i wrote rather extensively about phobos in this book in fact uh in a chapter that was devoted to the subject, if I can force my fingers to turn pages, it's the second chapter in this book, Covert Wars and the Clash of Civilization. And the chapter is titled Phobosphobia or Funny Things Keep Happening to Our Mars Probes. And I want to read you just a few pages from this that give you a few of the reasons, not all of them, I'll be discussing some of them after I get done reading uh, these quotations from the book. But here is uh, how I begin the chapter. Quote, it is one thing when people in the alternative research community come out with suggestions that any planetary moon in our solar system might be artificial. But it is quite another when respected astronomers such as Carl Sagan a professor of astronomy at Cornell and a member of the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, and I.S. Shklovsky, an eminent Russian astronomer and member of the Soviet Academy of Sciences, not only suggest such ideas, but do so jointly in a book that they co-authored at the height of the Cold War titled Intelligent Life in the Universe. Such statements were bound to be worrisome to the national security establishments of both superpowers, the more so as both were involved at that time, not only with keeping a careful eye on the intentions of its terrestrial rival, but also because both had a pressing UFO problem that was manifesting itself in the troublesome visitor's propensity to visit their ICBM sites and turn off or on their strategic deterrence and to alter their targeting information at will. But Sagan and Shklovsky did not stop there. They made matters very much worse by devoting an entire chapter of their book to the subject, and to drive the point home, they even entitled it, quote, Are the Moons of Mars Artificial Satellites? Unquote. Their work forms an important point of departure for an examination of the problem of the clash of civilizations, not only between the two superpowers, but also for an examination of the culture that could lead to much more serious clash between ter terrestrial civilizations and something out there, one implying space secrecy of the most fundamental kind. The mystery of Mars two moons aptly named Phobos from the Greek word fear and Themos from the Greek for trembling, begins, as Sagan and Shklovsky point out, with the 18th century British satirist Jonathan Swift, who lived from 1667 to 1745. In 1726, Swift published Gulliver's Travels his most famous satire recounting the travels of a famous Lemuel Gulliver in the kingdom of Laputa, an island in the sky. Swift's satire, however, contained a highly problematical passage, which Sagan and Shlovsky cite. Quote, They, the Laputian astronomers, have likewise discovered two lesser stars or satellites which revolve around Mars. 
whereof the innermost is distant from the center of the primary planet exactly three of its diameters, and the outermost five. The former revolves in the space of ten hours, and the latter in twenty-one and a half, so that the squares of their periodical times are very near in the same proportion with the cubes of their distance from the center of Mars, which evidently shows them to be governed by the same law of gravitation that influences the other heavenly bodies, unquote. The problem was not only that Swift's characterization of the number of Martian moons was accurate, but so was his, represent his representation of their periods of revolution. Not only that, but their distances from the planet are uncannily close to the truth. Sagan and Shlovsky observe that the period of revolution of Deimos about Mars is about 30 hours and 18 minutes, and Phobos revolves every 7 hours and 39 minutes. Thus, Swift predicted the period of revolution of Phobos to within 25%, and Deimos within, to within about 40% of the true values. A rather remarkable guess. If, indeed, it was a guess. The biggest problem, however, was when Swift was saying all of this, in 1726, for the actual discovery of Phobos and Deimos was made by the, Air, the American astronomer Asaph Hall in 1877 at the United States Naval Observatory. Swift had anticipated events by 151 years. Now, I'm skipping ahead a little bit in the book. The most important problem is that Phobos' orbit appears to be decaying, such that within 100 million years, give or take a few million, the moon will go crashing into the planet. They, meaning Sagan and Shklovsky, then propose a number of models to explain this strange phenomenon. Atmospheric drag, tidal friction, electromagnetic braking, radiation pressure, or classical celestial mechanical perturbations. And after examining each of them, they reject them. This brings Shklovsky to his radical proposal, and re we reproduce his discussion in wider context to show how he arrived at it. In 1959, I proposed a new and radical hypothesis concerning the motion of Phobos. Let us reconsider the discussion. We saw that for the secular acceleration to be explained by the action of a resisting medium, the density of this resisting medium had to be about 3 to the 10 to the minus third power per cubic centimeter, where the density for D represents the density of Phobos. We also saw that the expected Martian exospheric densities in the vicinity of Phobos are less than 2 times 10 to the minus third cubic centimeters. Thus, if the mean density of Phobos were about 10 to the minus fifth grams per cubic centimeter, then its secular acceleration could be explained by the resistance of the Martian exosphere. But how can a natural satellite have such a low density. The material of which it is made must have a certain rigidity, 
so that cohesive forces will be stronger than the gravitational tidal forces of Mars, which will tend to disrupt the satellite. Now, I'm skipping a lot here. Breathtaking as this is, Shklovsky goes on to posit an even more breathtaking model of how all of this may have been achieved. Conceivably, he says, the capture and hollowing of a small asteroid may be technically more feasible than the construction in orbit of an artificial satellite with material brought from the surface. And basically, if you go on to read what he says, he thinks that Phobos and Deimos were parked in Martian orbit, and that this is why, prior to 1877, no one noticed them when there were clearly astronomical opportunities for people to do so. But, as you've probably now guessed, that doesn't explain how Jonathan Swift in 1726 guessed so much. All right? So, in other words, there is a huge mystery with the Martian moon of Phobos. Now, there's other details that have emerged since then because the European Space Agency also sent a probe to Mars that took a lot of data about Phobos. And in fact, Richard Hoagland commented extensively on his website, uh, enterprisemission.com, at the time that the European Space Agency was taking these pictures. And one of the things that the European Space Agency noticed, in fact, there were two very significant things that the European Space Agency noticed, was first of all that this little moonlit Phobos was outgassing. In other words, there was gas inside of this little moonlet that was being, through pressure, you know, exhausted from, from this object. And who knows how long it may have been doing this, but this also would mean that there are cavities or hollow spaces inside of that asteroid, and that would tend to confirm Shklovsky's idea that this was something that had been hollowed out and parked in Martian orbit. And the European Space Agency did something else that, again, is just kind of mind-boggling because their probe had radar tomography on it, and they actually conducted radar tomography of the interior of Phobos, and they discovered two rather regular-shaped, massive, hollow areas indicated by their radar tomography. So in other words, the story, the neat and tidy story here <laughs> that's being reported in uh, Popular Mechanics is not the whole story. We have two moons that were written about 151 years before they were discovered with approximations of their orbit, orbital periods and their mass. We have the surmise of Sagan and Shlovsky that they might be artificial objects that were parked there uh, at some point prior to their discovery when many opportunities existed for their discovery before 1877, given the state of telescopic technology at that day. 
So something is going on with Phobos, and now Japan wants to go, and you'll note Japan is going with a payload of instruments from NASA and France, <laughs> okay? Now, whether this probe is going to actually make it and return samples, I don't know. But I strongly suspect that the reason that they're doing this is to find out just what the heck this moon is all about, or if indeed it is a moon, or and whether or not uh, Sagan and Shklovsky were actually on the nose with their bet that this was a deliberately hollowed-out asteroid of some sort. So lots, lots, lots going on behind the scenes of all of the hype about coronavirus. <laughs> there's, there's some very interesting news um, <laughs> there's some very, very interesting news. Now, one person in the chat room just pointed out something very interesting, and I think he's got a good point, or she. Uh, RR says, would they tell us if they did find anything unusual about it? I doubt it. Uh, they probably wouldn't, but um, given, given what we have seen about Phobos and uh, what the Germans did when, they, when the European Space Agency sent their probe, they're more likely simply to release information without comment and let people out there figure out what the information really means. That's my suspicion. But a lot of interest in that little moon has resurfaced at a very, very peculiar time. So that's the news um, from the Nefarium uh, this week. Don't forget, folks, tomorrow we've got the vid chat, 2 o'clock U.S. Central Time. Uh, please get your questions in uh, early for me. And again, please, 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 for those of you who like to send me articles, again, I thank you for doing so. But please, uh, let's try and get off of the coronavirus <laughs> everybody seems to be uh, fixed about. All right. That's it, folks. We will see you next week for another news and views from the Nefarium. I want to wish everybody a good and happy weekend. We'll see all of you tomorrow that are members in vid chat. So bye-bye, God bless, and we'll see you on the flip side.